Welcome to episode 70 of the Adelan Rising podcast, where your hosts, Saren Lynn and Adam. Um, in today's episode, we take a step back to discuss Son of M, X-Men Deadly Genesis, and Silent War. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Well, uh, I've been working from home for over a month now, and I'm never going back to wearing real pants. I'm not either. I have also been working home for over a month now, and I actually have to be wearing real pants today because I had to run out and get supplies. But, you know, if I had my druthers, I would never wear real pants again. Uh, I hope when this is all done that we have a new fashion trend of business pajamas. <laughs> actually, I think that is close because I do have a pair of dress pants that are a stretch waistband, and they're quite comfortable. You know, I got see, them at Coles. So, so being, being the youngest person in this group... I feel the most mature because I've kept up my uh, <laughs> dressing properly for working from home. <laughs> I mean, I, you I, fool! I mean, to be fair, I've I've been working from home like the past week, like fully working from home. Uh, my my the kind of factory I work for didn't close down fully, so uh, I've still been going to work and stuff. But yeah, this last week has been hell on earth because I cannot cope working from home. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> It's just... Oh, see, I it's I've I've been okay because I still am required to work my normal work hours, so I am designated online from this time to this time, and so it's been very easy for me to adapt, especially now that I have a new computer and a dual monitor set up like I have at work. It makes my life much easier. It's fantastic. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know if uh, you find this, Lynn, but for me, it's because I can't do very specific things or it's very slow to do very specific things and for me it's all my like design work and i can't do it properly from home and it's really frustrating my my computer can handle all the cad stuff i have to do at home my only problem is the very bored little dog that lives in my house <laughs> yeah he comes like, into the room why, why am i not at daycare where are my friends i'm so bored he's tried to play with a painting of himself <laughs> he he comes in and he makes sure I've emptied the garbage every day. He doesn't like it if there's garbage in the garbage can. That's, he's a he's a good dog. He is a good dog. Yeah. See, see, Luna is a good little. What does he do? See, Luna's been very very good because she's been she'll come down with me in the morning, and I tend to get up just before my mum does, and so she'll come with me, sit in the uh, in the front room with me, and she'll be fine for the the two hours I'm working. <laughs> And then my mum comes downstairs, and then she just goes mad. But what does what does Thor do to to tell you to empty the garbage can? Well, he comes in the room, and he he looks inside, and if he feels there's too much garbage in the garbage can, he'll start to whine and paw at it and glare at me. <laughs> Sorry, and he'll keep it up until the garbage is emptied. Oh wow, he is he is my kind of dog. That's that's amazing. <laughs> But, I've got video. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll have to share it. I mean, we'll have to share it on the on the Twitter on the Twitter account. Animal Crossing, guys. Animal Crossing came out uh, like at the end of March. Um, you guys have been much more into it potentially than I have. A Animal Crossing is my whole life now. <laughs> yeah, and I've been to your island, and it is just ridiculous. Like the amount of detail that's gone into that thing is just insane. <laughs> like you've even got a Zen garden. I am so proud of my Zen garden. I'm only about halfway done with it, but I think it's looking great. Yeah, that's it's, it's just that's nuts. But but how's how's your Animal Crossing uh, Island coming along, Saren? 
Um, nowhere near the quality of Lynn's. Lynn ha- uh, may have got the game weeks after me, but she has now surpassed my town, mainly because terraforming terrifies me. Um, and I've been very slow with it. Um, also because I don't play the turn up market like everyone else does. So it takes me a little bit longer to generate money and I've got to kind of, I need to, there's an app you can get, um, that helps you plan it, plot your Island. Like you upload your Island map to it and it helps you like plot your Island out. And I got to figure out where I want to move my people. See, I, I find that quite good that you can move people on that one. Cause I don't think that was a part of, uh, previous games. It wasn't, and I I really like that too. I like how you can just like you can move your nooks, you can move your ables, you can move villagers, you can move your own house. Um, my town is currently overrun with flowers, so many flowers. I was so happy it rained today because then I didn't have to go through four watering cans to water all of them. <laughs> so oh, that's brilliant. And uh, yeah. there are definitely uh, zoning laws on my island. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I, I've I've kind of like um, I chose an island that's kind of got two levels to it or three levels to it. So, and I've named it Atalan after you know the 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 rightful uh, island that it should be. Um, so it's got kind of two levels, and I plan on moving my house to the highest most level, but not having an access point to it. So uh, you know that can be the, uh, <laughs> the that can be some kind of palace. But uh, I mean, you do I, that. I, oh. I, I really like that game, and I really I, I want to kind of recreate my guy from from new from New Leaf. So if anybody gets the uh, the bunny ear hat and the uh, the weird kind of uh, face mask, then send it my way, and then I get a polka dot dress and wear that. It's great. <laughs> uh, well, your current outfit's something to behold. I have to say <laughs> it. It. Yeah, it's a, it's a showstopper. It's the it's the caterpillar suit. It's the um, oh, what hat am I wearing? Just uh, I forget now. It's like the Dutch hat. It's like a like oh, it's, the, it's the, the little... um, it's the milkmaid hat. Yeah, and that's then some it. and then some pink glasses. It's great. <laughs> it's so good. I love that game because you can just you can just put the most ridiculous things and just oh, <laughs> the I... worst fashion and... sense ever. And then the villagers just say the craziest stuff all the time. <laughs> I love them. Also, oh. I was very fashion, when your, your town today, Lynn, and Muffy remembered me. I was like, oh my gosh, you remembered me. I think that's a new thing, too, because I don't ever remember no, villagers that's... moving away from me town yeah, no, that, and remembering. That yeah, that happened. I remember because a friend of mine managed to get um, uh, an, a villager that used to be in my town, and I went over to his town, and they, they remembered me, too. That goes all the way back to like DS version. Perhaps. I, I don't so. recall. None of my villagers ever remembered me after leaving my town. Somebody took my uh, Molly, and Molly didn't remember me. I was very sad. Aww. But yeah, talking of fashion sense, Lynn. <laughs> I, I, have, I have been very busy on Animal Crossing. Yeah, you have. I was kept telling you. I was like, you're like, I keep designing things. I'm like, you need to progress your town so you can do more things with your design. So I, uh, so far... In uh, the custom design area, I've put together a lockjaw sweater based on the lovely sweater that Dan Kimplesmith's mom made for him. I've got a black bolt sweater, a crystal sweater, and a Maximus coat, which may be my masterpiece so far. Yeah, that that one's brilliant because it's it's literally the same coat that he wears for War of Kings. 
And it's, it's it is. so good. So good. How long does it take you to create those patterns? Like, how long did it take? Don't ask that. Just don't. Actually, this took a while because I had to figure out how to sort of fake it onto one of the existing coats that has the wrong collar. So I had to, like, draw a collar over the collar. Uh, so that, that took a an hour or so if I actually added up all the time I actually spent on it. But uh, my only complaint is... That you can't have a bald character. Yeah. And they're, you're really limited in your facial hair options because I've got almost a perfect little Karnak outfit set up so I can come over and criticize everybody's islands. <laughs> yeah, don't criticize but I, my, my, I my, my, my mustache. But yeah. I need a better mustache. I think so uh, if you ever see a good mustache that's not the curly mustache, let me know because I need it. See, all all I will say is feel glad that you don't have the 3DS version of this game where the uh, the hairstyles were basically based upon a series of questions and you had to get the questions <laughs> in the right order to be able to get the right hairstyle that you wanted. Oh, come on. It was, it was the most ridiculous way of getting a hairstyle. So they, they've definitely improved the game a lot. Like the whole, yeah, the whole crafting okay. stuff is just amazing. My only problem with the crafting is that I can't craft like bulk items. Like if I want to craft more than one like wooden toy to make the the wood block furniture, oh, like yeah. I can only do it one at a time. If I could yeah. craft five at once, I would love that. And it's also outsold every single previous game as well it's like it's it has like basically i think new leaf was the second highest at like six million sold like worldwide through the entire lifespan and new horizons is already up to like eight million globally and it's only been out for just over a month also look when it launched too and then like everyone's like oh animal crossing is a niche game i'm like i don't think it's a niche game anymore guys i'm pretty sure it's mainstream now (laughs) I think it's because Twitter exists, and I think that, well, I mean, the last game came out, what was it, 2012? Yeah. And it was like, it was kind of early days Twitter, and, you know, I think it's kind of blown up because of Twitter. Send us your turnip prices. My turnip prices are 94 bells today, or my, were, mine, she's gone now. Mine so. were 107, and I bought uh, 1,650 turnips today. Dude, you should have asked me before you bought them. That's all right. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just expecting a rise on my turnip prices this week. So, <laughs> well, apparently, from what I'm understanding, I have um, my friend Nin, who is Nin Loves Games on Twitter. You should follow her. Um, she said that the higher your rating of your town, the higher your your turnip prices will go. So, if you have a five star town, that's when you start getting like five hundred dollar or five hundred bells per turnip prices. So, good to know. Yeah, so uh, Lynn, your uh, turn up prices uh, will probably be pretty high. Keep an eye on them and let me know, so then I can come and sell them all. Yeah, yeah, let, let me know as well. Oh, and I want to make. I will super be. Uh, and I will be putting up the codes on our Twitter account for all my little Inhumans designs. Yeah, I need that crystal one. Yeah, bad. We, we need those codes. I mean, I mean, forget everybody else. We need those codes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think that's it for how we're doing. I mean, we've, we've been talking for nearly 15 minutes now of, of our, our life in lockdown. Um, just a note on the... Do you have any news? 
Well, I just I just can mention the Ask Me Anything request. So um, we put our request uh, a couple of times for our Twitter account, and we have got questions so far, but we're going to be answering them when we go back to reviewing new comic books, um, which is likely to be in the next sort of month or so with Empire coming out. So uh, we'll we'll keep collating those and putting them together, and just kind of have a big uh, big chat at the end of that episode. So. Adam, I, I believe you mispronounced Empire. I don't Empire! <laughs> Empire! <laughs> oh, God. Good old Al Ewing. Al Ewing says it. I, I, this, this, I mean, this is going to sound really corny, but C2E2 was the highlight of my year so far because obviously we came back from C2E2 and then the world just went into lockdown, but such a good time. <laughs> so good. I... And I and to think that I was like waffling on it, and then I decided to go after all. And I'm like, well, it's the only con we're probably going to go to this year, so I'm glad we were able to go. Yeah, I am too, and I'm, I'm, you know, is is great. So, but uh, have we got any news? We do have some news on uh, May 22nd. Marvel's Future Avengers season two is going to be added to Disney Plus. Oh snap! The- Second season features the Inhuman Royal family, and their character designs are awesome. Yes, they are. I I heard that's really good. I really actually need to catch up on the first series, so I should do that. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where I I have just got Disney+. Plus. Um, It was released in the UK at the end of March, and um, I went halves with a friend of mine, so I've got it like 25 quid for the whole year, which is great. But uh, I'll catch up on Um, that. We should catch up on that. And also, um, for things that are Marvel-related to watch, um, if you have not watched the 1979 Spider-Woman series, you need to because you'll want to know what they were smoking when they made that show. <laughs> it's off-the-wall crazy ridiculous. It's fantastic. Um, definitely a um, dated piece. Uh, definitely reflects the views at the time. But also... Um, it's if you like puns and really bad puns at that, oh, it's got them in spades. It's great. It's also got um, it's also got Wookies in it. it so you're gonna it's got it. Wookies. It's got Wookies. One hundred percent has Wookies and um, a Darth Vader knockoff. That's sort of also like a pig. It's like Pig Vader. Yeah, you need to watch it. It's it's nuts. I, I'm just not a huge fan it's, of Star Wars. <laughs> No, it's it's like only one episode, but it's enough to be like, what were they smoking? It's really great. Oh, no, that's a shame because you need to watch The Mandalorian, which you don't need to be a Star Wars fan to appreciate. I know. So, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I uh, talk about Star Wars. I did see Solo in cinemas and I enjoyed Solo. So um, most people didn't, apparently. You know, I don't, I don't get it. I thought it was a nice, like, movie. Just it was just a nice movie. I liked it. Yeah, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but it was good. I think it's my favorite only because it's the one I've sat through the whole way. So. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no, no. But yeah, The Mandalorian is great. You need to watch it. I will watch it one day. Yeah, I, I, I'll probably, I'll probably give it a go. Watch an episode. Um. Just because it's it, it does intrigue me because I like the idea of Baby Yoda, so. But, but yeah, no new comics until Diamond starts shipping by the end of May. 
um, which has been sad. <laughs> yeah, but we still have Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's been glitchy as hell recently, especially since um, they changed uh, it over to to the Disney login method. It is so glitchy on my tablet. I have to. I don't know if anybody else is having this problem, but it crashes right when I click on the comic that I was looking for. What's crashing? I'm sorry. I had totally gotten distracted by something. The the Marvel Unlimited app. I go in, I try and click on the comic, and then it crashes. So I have to be really fast and save it to my library. That's really weird. I have not had any and then I can get in. my Unlimited See, on either I, my tablet or my phone. I have the issue of um, I will get uh, like I'll read an issue one of a series, fine. Read issue two of a series, fine. Click on issue three, and then it just won't load. So I have to restart the whole app, and it's just it bugs. Yeah, me. I get that too. But yeah, I haven't had that problem. You should email. Um, if you're having problems with that, you should email. Um, I, or tweet I, at oh shit, who is it? I, I, support at Marvel or Marvel support I don't on think Twitter. They listen. Uh. <laughs> I don't think they listen for Marvel Unlimited. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's really funny as well because like on on the the Marvel Comics app, the one where you buy like the most recent stuff, um, it was really it was quite funny because I would I would redeem codes and they would redeem on the website and then I would never be I would, would never see them on the app. So I remember going to Marvel support and saying, hey, these haven't redeemed. And they said, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that. But here you go. Here's an email for Comixology because it's Comixology who produced that app. So you go to Comixology and they say, no, it's nothing to do with us. That's Marvel. It's just like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but yeah, they, they I mean, most, most of the time the support is great. But occasionally I've just had issues where they say they just, you know, too, too much to in and fro in between two different companies. But anyway, should we move on to what we uh, what we intend on uh, reviewing today, which is the uh, is the first three installments of the Road to War of Kings omnibus, uh, saga, um, part of the big omnibus, omnibus uh, so Son of M, X Men Deadly Genesis, and Silent War. So to all of these stories, uh, House of M is really a precursor to them. Now called the Pretender, Scarlet Witch said those now famous words: "No more mutants." and wiped out the majority of the mutant race, bar 198. This was all put back to normal six years later in another fairly famous Bendis story, uh, Avengers vs. X-Men. But when House of M ended, there was a particular comment by Beast saying, where does all the energy of hundreds of thousands of mutants go? Uh, And this is directly referenced in Deadly Genesis and serves as a prequel to Son of M. So, as we journey all the way back to the end of 2005 and start of 2006, uh, both the Marvel Universe and real universe were very different places. The Marvel Universe was headed towards a civil war, and the real universe wasn't quite the weird mess that it is now, but uh, you could argue that it was a, a bit of a mess even then. Anyway, first up is Son of M. Lynn, do you want to take it away? Son of M, which is a five-issue miniseries during the Decimation event. The writer is David Hine, the artist Roy Allen Martinez, colorist Pete Penzadis, letterer Dan Lanfear, cover by John Watson, editor Tom Brevoort, and associate editor Andy Schmidt. 
Son of M takes place in the aftermath of House of M, where Wanda Maximoff infamously declared no more mutants. The former mutants are not doing well, the most notably her brother Pietro. The story opens with a depressed, ragged Quicksilver waking up in a filthy apartment, reduced to the life of an ordinary human. Cut to Peter Parker, who's also not doing well, having lost Gwen Stacy and their child when Wanda returned the world to normal. In his desperation, Pietro decides to take a chance and ask his estranged wife, Princess Crystal of the Inhumans, for help. Immediately after he sends her a message, he hears a commotion in the alley. A young mutant is being attacked by a gang of thugs. Pietro makes an ineffective attempt to rescue him. Luckily, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is there to save the day. Knowing the role he played in House of M, Peter is none too pleased to see Pietro. And after the confrontation, a distraught Pietro throws himself off the roof, very nearly killing himself. It's just then that Crystal and Lockjaw arrive to take him back to Adelan to be treated by their healers. The Inhumans are not happy to see Quicksilver either. They are especially not happy to hear that he wants to undergo Terragenesis. The request is denied for his own safety. Terragenesis only works on Inhumans. It would be deadly for mutants or regular humans. The only person who's glad to have Quicksilver in Adelan is his adorable little daughter Luna, whose head he fills with the wonders of Earth, with help from Vitimus, a blind inhuman who can project images from one mind to another. After learning all he can about Terrigen from Vitimus, Pietro breaks into the Terrigen Mist Cavern, contaminates it, and returns to his chambers only to be greeted by himself. The Terrigen did more than return his super speed. He can now time travel to the future. And future him does not look great. Meanwhile, the Inhumans discover the breach of the Terrigen Cavern, and Pietro is the prime suspect. After a confrontation with Jolin, who he suspects is having an affair with Crystal, Pietro and his future self concoct a plan with help from Vitimus to steal the Terrigen Crystals and take them and Luna back to Earth. The plan succeeds, and immediately upon arrival, Quicksilver exposes his half-human daughter to the mists. She gains the ability to see auras and manipulate the emotions of others. But like her father, she has to keep taking hits of Terrigen Mist to maintain those abilities. Crystal is enraged when she finds that Luna is missing, but Medusa is willing to let Quicksilver have time with her. That is, until the theft of Terrigen Crystals is discovered. Vitimus is punished for his role in helping Pietro with solitary confinement, and the Inhumans head to Earth. Back on Earth? Quicksilver takes Luna and the Mist to the ruins of Genosha, where he plans on restoring the abilities of the mutants that have chosen to remain. The first mutant they encounter is Callisto, and once restored, her powers almost immediately go out of control. Her enhanced senses are now so powerful that just existing is painful. Magneto finds her curled up in agony. He then finds Pietro just after he's poisoned Wicked, Hub, Unis, Hack, Purge, Freak Cho, and Shola Inkose. After a confrontation with his son, where he points out what a dick he is, Magneto leaves, instructing them to take Callisto to a hospital on the mainland. With some help from the Fantastic Four, the Inhumans find Pietro and Luna in Genosha by intercepting U.S. military communications. Despite the side effects, the mutants do not want to relinquish the mists. The resulting battle stops when Unis's power malfunctions, suffocating him within his own force field. 
It is then that the mutant-hating bigot General Laser and his forces arrive on Genosha, accusing the Inhumans of invading Earth, and he confiscates the crystals, leading Black Bolt to blow up their aircraft and declare war on the United States. Later, realizing that his daughter is now addicted to the mists, Quicksilver has Lockjaw take Luna home. Of course, that doesn't stop him from continuing to abuse the mists. He kept some of the crystals for himself, and the story ends with Pietro wandering the streets, restoring mutants' abilities with a touch of his hands. Hands that are now embedded with Terrigen crystals. Because this is a mutant story, I gave this one five out of five Lockheeds. Luck we did that. <laughs> so I, 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 I thought this was a really good story. I really enjoyed this one. Um, and I have to admit that for this review, it's the first time I'd actually read the book. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised by that, actually, Adam, because I've actually read this before you. So I, I've read Silent War, and I've read Silent War many times, but yeah, I never read Son of M. But I really enjoyed it, and it kind of gives you a really nice... I think because I'd I'd read Quicksilver No Surrender uh, prior to reading this one, it kind of gives you a different look on, on Quicksilver, because <laughs> he was very much a massive dick. Oh god, yeah. He's, oh, he. I, been... I, when I first read this, it really made me hate him. Actually, I was like, I hate this guy. I can't believe Crystal married him. Well, I think, I think the um, the biggest thing for me was just the fact that he, like, when you read House of M, uh, House of M as well, which I did prior to reading this as well, he kind of just, he just, yeah, he just turns out to be a massive, massive dick. Like the fact that everybody blames Wanda for kind of what happened in House of M, but it it wasn't really all down to Wanda. Like, Pietro... She was very vulnerable. Yeah, and Pietro manipulated and took advantage of that. And it's kind of like... I think he he went a bit too much to... like, like He went beyond what, what Magneto would do. You know, I think No Surrender is the only time he's ever been a sympathetic character for me. Yeah, and I, I, I think that... um like it was a great book, and I, I think it's one of the really nicely well written books that have come out recently. Um, but yeah, this I, I, I don't think uh, it definitely didn't reflect the Quicksilver that we see here, or sort of slightly later on in Silent War as well. Yeah, and you know, with losing his powers, I think Quicksilver takes it harder than anyone? any of the other mutants <laughs> than anyone ever. But that that's kind of ties into what his powers were before. Yeah. Because it was kind of, it's, it's, it's like mentioned, it's super speed. That ability to think is also improved. It's much quicker. Yes. If you, uh, if you go back and read X-Factor number 87 from the 1986 series, it, it goes into detail about what it's like to be Quicksilver. I, I you know, he has this wonderful little uh, you know, speech to Doc Samson about, you, you know, how you're at the, when you're at the bank and you're in line. And that stupid person is in front of you, and they just don't get anything they're supposed to do. <laughs> He's like, that, that, that's every minute of every day for me. Wow. So for him, this is like a you know, reverse Flowers for Algernon. I think Quicksilver is one of the few mutants they actually went into about losing his abilities as well, actually. And I guess it's because it came straight off of House of M, but it was just kind of a, it was just kind of kind of a deep dive into the the mind of Quicksilver, and it wasn't a particularly nice deep deep dive. I am still mad about the retcon of Pietro and Wanda's parentage. Now I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here. I I kind of I really enjoyed the story in which they did the retcon. 
And I, thought, I thought that was more recent than that. Why did I not think it was? Yeah, no, the, the, oh, the excuse ret- me. Oh, it's more recent. It's after this. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the retcon was in 2015, just before uh, Secret Wars. Okay, that's what I, was, I thought. I was like, like, wait a minute, did I miss something? So, so I mean, I I didn't mind the retcon, but then when you kind of go back and you read these stories like House of M, like Son of M, where everything is very much based upon their heritage, it's kind of like, well. Uh, yeah, it it did seem like a r- ridiculous thing to do, right? and I know that it was trying to make sure that they were more aligned to the MCU, but I think it's just a little bit unnecessary. I think they could have kept it there for the possibility of one day kind of returning to that with Magneto in the MCU, but I don't think we're going to get that now. Yeah, because you know they also eliminated the bit about Luna being the only half inhuman, half mutant. Yeah. And the fact that um, I'm pretty sure is it explained in this? Because Magneto did like her. Yeah, you know, he was nice to his grandchild. <laughs> it's probably the only person he was nice to, to be honest, really, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also the fact that um, I think isn't it? Uh, is it is it Reed Richards that points out that she because she's half inhuman and half mutant, they kind of cancel each other out, and therefore she is yeah. like full human. But she did show up in the uh, Age of X. Uh, um, which one? Comics, so, and then they just sort of dropped it. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, well, the Age of X-Man that happened, uh, what was it, twenty, early 2019? The, yeah. the lead-in to House of X, Powers of Ten. Yeah, I, I'll have to catch up on that. I, I can't remember, I can't remember seeing that. She she was absolutely there and then was never mentioned again. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, because I know I know she was mentioned at the end of All New Humans as being at the Braddock Academy. This is such a cool thing. I, I like I, I you know what I really love about the Did Marvel I not universe. see Luna mentioned in a recent X Men book? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it possibly the uh, the uh, Age of X Men stuff that came out last yeah. year. Okay. So. I thought someone had mentioned that that she had showed up in an X Men book when she was supposed to be at the Braddock Academy and was somewhere else instead. <laughs> Yeah, the Age of X-Man stuff was a little bit weird. I'm I'm still kind of thinking that maybe House and Powers of X is a, a part of that, but <laughs> doesn't look like it. Oh, we don't know yet. No. They knew it was coming when they were writing it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, the, the House and Powers of X was being written for like two years prior to that. So, But uh, in, interesting thought and, and kind of uh, interesting thought starter, which is um, if people are going to criticize the Inhumans for for not wanting to give up the mists. Um, should we look at how mutants react when the power when their powers are taken from them? Um, they did not take it well. No, I mean we'll see how. I mean I, I think it re- it's really dependent mutant to mutant. But you know there's a lot of stuff about um, like in 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 Deadly Genesis, which we'll come on to in a minute. But you know you see Professor X not having his powers, and he, he seems to be dealing with it much differently to uh so some other mutants you know it's kind of a it's kind of an odd one because i i think they both like both people in humans and, and and mutants they kind of see it as their some some mutants and some inhumans see it as their birthright i mean much more so within the inhumans but so when you take that power away from them it's kind of a you know you see with you see a quicksilver he just he just loses it completely it just 
you know, reminds me in the recent X-Men comics how depowered mutants, because there's still some left from House of M. How they get treated on Krakoa. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, you either get to fight Apocalypse to the death or get out. Yeah, and and it's amazing that some people choose to fight Apocalypse to death. And uh, I I don't know. Those books... That's an episode into itself. Yes. (laughs) We could go off on an entire tangent on those ones. Quicksilver, he's another bad parent. Not, Not only does he kidnap her, he gets her hooked on drugs. They all say that the Inhumans are really bad parents, which I really can't deny, but... Um, Crystal's okay. Yeah. Crystal's okay. Crystal's uh, a good mom, but... I'll tell you something I did like about this this uh, this series was the art was amazing. Oh, it is gorgeous, especially Medusa's outfits. Yeah, uh, and just the whole... The, just, I think the whole book is just brilliant. Um, you know, Art Nouveau, Wonderland. Yeah, it, it is a beautiful... Beautiful Adelan, unlike some of the more recent depictions of it that are just sort of like this brutalist architecture. I mean, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, when you when you talk about it like that, I mean, with with the TV show, uh, which I have recently gone back to watch three quarters why? of the first episode. I don't know why. I just, no. just don't don't ask me why. Um, it's just and- piles of cement. <laughs> It's like terrible. It's, it's just, like they let Karnak design it. Yeah, but then it just gets it gets taken down at the end of the episode at the end of the series anyway, so Karnak didn't design it, otherwise it wouldn't have been so many flaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean this is this is one of the, the better um one of the kind of the better looks of Atalan. You know, you see new Atalan since sort of in human book, which is which is kinda of cool, but it I think well yeah but it's also crash landed so it's yeah, not going to be but, I mean, pretty that's, that's what I mean I think I think in recent <laughs> times at Atalan this is probably the best portrayal of it I would agree with that but also one one big thing that I think is uh, is missing from from this book and from Silent War is the fact that they make a comment about um Black Bolt and Medusa not being parents I think that's fixed in Silent War. It's it's yeah. it's brought up. It, it's addressed in Silent War, um, which we'll discuss later. It is, yeah. It just seems a very odd thing to miss out in uh, in this book. It just seemed very like the fact that they make that comment, but yeah. It, it was this very strange comment. Yeah, but uh, either a miss by the editor or extremely hurtful. I'm not sure which. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we, we, you can also argue that it was kind of obviously if it was addressed in Silent War, great, but um, it was also addressed in uh, in uh, Secret Invasion in Human Book, where he actually and no, Uhura's in Uhura's in in uh, Silent War. Yeah, yeah, of course he is. Yeah, because he because uh, he gets healed, but we'll come to that in a minute. Is there anything else we want to talk about for for Silent War? It is a great book. You no, just to... I can't wait for WandaVision. Yeah. I, I've never liked I've never liked Wanda or this or uh, Quicksilver. Like just in general, I just never. But WandaVision does look very interesting, so I can't wait for that to come out either. I'm gonna I am gonna binge watch all the shows anyway. Maybe it'll eventually make me a fan of Wanda. But even yeah, I just don't like Wanda. I think we're you know we're gonna finally see 
her reality changing powers in this as opposed to just like telekinesis. Oh, absolutely. That with the trailer that they aired during the Super Bowl that was pretty heavily implied. Do you know, I really um I really I'm really looking forward to WandaVision, but I mean I think one of the things I'm most wanted out of Infinity War was for Wanda to just do some sort of like ridiculous reality warping stuff. Um and I think it's a real shame that they didn't get to do it within the MCU, but then I was kind of thinking they must have just had a set plan. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to one. Well, version. all of these all these shows are tying into the MCU, so they are MCU series. So yeah, but what I mean is is like the, the well, MCU... she's she's going to be in multiverse of madness, though. Yeah, she's going to be in multiverse of madness. Like that, the WandaVision ties directly into the Doctor Strange sequel. Yeah, but what what I meant more was that there was no like. Um... Like big reveal of what she can actually do exactly yeah I, I feel like they're doing it in a tv show and then whether or not they do that in multiverse of madness i don't know but if it was like a tv show it's kind of like you know it's like when you put your dog in the other room to stop him from barking at your neighbors or something <laughs> it's <laughs> you're, you're kind of just putting it to one side and kind of like just saying you stay there it's gonna be great don't get me wrong but it's just it feels like it's just yeah, it would be so good to see it on a movie. But Okay, so next on the reading list is X-Men Deadly Genesis, uh, which is written by Ed Brubacker, uh, penciled by Trevor Hairseen and uh, Pete Woods. Colorist was Val Staples and Brad Anderson. Uh, inkers were Chris Justice, uh, Scott Hanna, Mike Perkins and Nelson. Covers were Mark Silvestri. So issue one opens with the uh, same page as the House of M ended with. Uh, Beast asking the question, where did all the energy go? Uh, we're then treated to like a nice view through space where a space shuttle prospect appears to have crashed with an ominous picture next to it uh, with a, of a large rock floating in space. Uh, this is when we see a mysterious figure. He floats into the space shuttle and notes the date, wondering how could they? We then return to our favourite mutant school, Nightcrawler reminiscing about when he joined the X-Men. Uh, Emma Frost is using Cerebro and is, has a really funny to and fro between her, Lockheed and Kitty. Um, about exuding pheromones, which is which is quite hilarious. Um, Emma is looking for Charles, who disappeared off the uh, events of House of M. She sees a huge power spike in space and an image of Space Shuttle Prospect, and she's knocked unconscious. Kitty, Cyclops and Beast rush her to the medical room, commenting that the Space Shuttle she saw was going to crash in upstate New York, to which the X-Men immediately respond. The X-Men then have, start having some really weird visions of their past, uh, Kitty seeing a dead Colossus, Nightcrawler seeing a mob of people coming after him, uh, similar to when he was in the old country. Uh, the X-Men looking for the crashed shuttle see a huge hand made out of Earth catching the shuttle in midair. Sean Cassidy, aka Banshee, sees a mirage of Moira, who died during the Legacy Virus story. The X-Men searching the area for whatever took the shuttle are shown a vision of Jean Grey. The mysterious character appears again, takes out the X-Men team and drags Rachel off into the distance. Sean is then seen in front of a computer, Moira making a video suggesting that Charles is a horrible person. Which, of course, he is. Um, the f issue finishes with an origin story of the mutant Petra, who is like a, 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 like a, almost like an elemental, but just does like ground stone and, and she manipulates those kind of things. Okay, so issue two opens with a breakout of Wolverine, who was caught by the Office of National Emergency. Uh, Emma, recovering from being knocked out in the previous issue, manipulated the minds of the One soldiers. Cyclops and Jean Grey are caught and cannot use their powers. 
Emma is searching for them along with the X-Men at the back of the mansion. Uh, Cerebro is being repaired and, ha- and Havoc gets a little bit angry at the fact that nothing is happening particularly quickly. Nightcrawler and Wolverine are going to the airport to pick up Sean Cassidy, a.k.a. Banshee. Um, last seen in uh, issue one when the Blackbird comes out of nowhere and crashes into the side of Sean's plane. This issue has a separate origin of Darwin. Uh, he's a mutant who has the ability to change his biology according to the situation which he's in. So issue three begins with Wolverine calling Beast to let him know what's happened at the airport. Owen oh, already on the backs of the X-Men seeing as it's their Blackbird that's been evolved. Cyclops and Rachel are still at the weird facility. Rachel's powers begin to come back slightly. She comments on this with the mysterious figure appearing in the background once more. He needs Rachel for something. Back at the mansion, O&E are investigating the Blackbird crash at the airport. An argument breaks out between Emma and the officers. Kitty comes up with some quick thinking. Uh, she reported the Blackbird as being stolen the previous day, ensuring their innocence. Emma then comments that Rachel has been digging around in her head for hours, suggesting that she's still alive. Wolverine and Nightcrawler investigate the Blackbird, looking for something that might lead them to the perpetrator. They find in the front end of the Blackbird, almost entirely intact, and search it, finding a mysterious briefcase with the words Muir Island on it. Wolverine and Beast examine the Muir Island briefcase and find that Moro talks about how the Xavier has killed the children. And then the bonus story for this issue is uh, about Sway, uh, who can alter time and stop time. The next issue is ultimately the, kind of the first part of the Giant Size X-Men retcon story. Wolverine and Beast are seeing the story from Moira's point of view, where Xavier approaches Moira to utilise her students. Funnily enough, these are all the students that we've uh, had the origin stories for in the previous issues. So Sway demonstrates her ability to manipulate time, Petra shows her ability to geomorph, uh, and, and Darwin shows how he's able to mutate and change the situations that he's been put into. Uh, a really cool example of this is when they show that he's like a blast with fire. He basically turns into Asbestos Man. Um, then we're finally introduced and given plenty of background on the hooded character called Kid Vulcan. Uh, his powers are essentially energy manipulation. Charles is impressed by these mutants and shows just how much of a dick he is and puts these mutants into a dreamscape, uh, training them in weeks, but in their minds, months and months have passed. They're then loaded into the Blackbird and sent to Krakoa to save the older X-Men. So during this entire development, um, Rachel and Scott manage to have a look around the Muir McTaggart facility when Vulcan himself uh, makes himself known and introduce himself as, introduces himself as Scott's long-lost brother. This issue's bonus story is the origin of Vulcan. So the next issue begins with O&E sending a Sentinel out to the Muir McTaggart f- facility where Vulcan and Scott are arguing about what the truth is. Uh, Rachel's told to leave and get away as quickly as possible. The Sentinel flies overhead where Vulcan goes to meet it, destroys the Sentinel and kills the person inside it. Scott is disgusted and tells Vulcan he can never be an X-Man. We then travel to Muir Island, to which we don't really know how much time has passed. Professor X manages to get, uh, get a fishing boat to the other side of Britain. I, I don't know how this works in comics, but that's an awful long way. Uh, <laughs> it appears to be only moments passing um, Professor X admits that he knows Vulcan and the rest of the X-Men arrive from the Blackbird to see to which Vulcan simply just bats them away uh, Vulcan makes a deal with them he won't break Professor X's neck uh, so the X-Men remain where they are and they listen 
So this issue also gives us a backstory of Emma Frost uh, when she was first unsuccessfully recruited by uh, Xavier and Moira. In the final issue, we see what happened to the first X-Men team trying to save the original X-Men team on Krakoa. There's some really cool pages of them going through and finding out what really happened with the previous team. Uh, we're also given even more backstory to Vulcan, where he was born, that Christopher and Catherine Summers were abducted, and when Catherine was days away from delivering her third, uh, third son, he was ripped from her womb and grown into a teenager at uh, an accelerated rate, kind of causing him to be a similar age to Havoc. Um, Scott is then told what he remembers is a lie. He ran from the island in Giant Size X-Men. He wasn't released. Uh, the new team of X-Men, Sway, Petra, Darwin and Vulcan, are taken down on Krakoa, in some cases pretty brutally. Professor, Egg cha- Professor X changes Scott's memories to ensure that he doesn't remember anything about the truth or his brother. So what are the few nice things to happen within this issue? That Darwin, who was supposed dead after his encounter with Kokoa, actually adapted and shared his body with um, and shared Vulcan's body. He's released at the, at this issue, and he kind of begin, begins growing his own new body. The X Men tried to take Vulcan down. He escapes, disillusioned by the X Men and what they stand for. He leaves for the cosmos, with an image of a Shi'ar person on it on his mind. At the end of the issue, there's a funeral for Sean, Petra and Sway, and Scott finally has had enough of Professor X. He calls him out and uh, tells him he doesn't belong at the school anymore. Probably about time, right? <laughs> so um, so this first and foremost was kind of like a, a celebration and a retcon of Giant Size X-Men issue 1. And I, I thought it was quite an interesting thing to do after, I think it was, what, 30 years? So I mean, If this was... Uh... X-Men soap opera at its finest. Yes. <laughs> Where the long-lost brother finally shows up. Yeah, and it's not, it's not a happy reunion that, you know, that would, would absolutely never happen in a sitcom <laughs> or a, a, a <laughs> drama or whatever it was. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite a, I thought it was quite a good story. Um, and actually, there's an awful lot of stuff in here that kind of like must have been taken for some reference information for House of X. Because um, the Cerebro design in this story is almost identical to the Cerebro in um, in House and Powers of X and Dawn of X, which I thought was a pretty nice touch. So, uh, th- this is absolutely tying into where uh, the Dawn of X titles are going. Because if you actually look at the cover of X Men number ten, yep, it's got. Petra, Sway, um, and that entire team. Vulcan. Vulcan, yeah. It's just so they're they're bringing that team back together, which is great. And they're on Krakoa again. That's very true. I, I, a much yeah. nicer Krakoa. Yeah, but Krakoa nonetheless. A Krakoa that's not going to rip half of them apart. So yeah. But uh, I feel like these are the stories that have one character who tries to be good, but ultimately is just a massive dick. <laughs> like Charles Xavier just manages to just show exactly why he's a big dick. Just like like to me, it was just the fact that he he took all of these little like the, these characters, put them into a situation after mentally training them for what they felt was months, but actually was like weeks within their heads. I just yeah, I, I have real trouble with that. 
Oh, I think this is really going to come back in the current comics because the students that he did that to were Moira's. Yes. And what I kind of find is it almost like retroactively causes questions. So what exactly was Moira doing with these students? And, you know, how does it affect the plans that have kind of been retroactively put in place? And that's that's going to be nice to know. That's going to be really cool to know. I wouldn't be surprised if Hickman totally did something completely messed up in like the good storytelling kind of messed up going, oh shit, that's messed up. But you can't stop reading it with all of this because he will. I think that's basically, yeah, Dawn of X in a nutshell, that is (laughs) messed up, (laughs) but you just keep reading. It's just like, I mean, you know, I, I do like the inspirations that they've taken from this story. Especially with the uh, the goofy Vulcan we have now is certainly not the Vulcan from this comic. No, Vulcan from this comic, and you know, as we will see later on in in War of Kings itself, was hugely powerful and hugely just ridiculously tactically minded and and all that kind of stuff. But the the X Men books we see now, we see Vulcan in those. He's just kind of goofy, little brother esque. You know, he's that he's that stereotypical family character that's just like a little goofball. Um It's not not the character from this who no. you know, with the, the subtle psychological tort not so subtle psychological torture of putting Cyclops across from Rachel with no visor on. Yeah, and also the fact that he basically used Rachel to you know, effectively get what he wanted. That was a bit yeah. a bit weird. That was yeah. That was not fun to read. Um, but also Darwin. Poor Darwin. He he has the worst, but some of the worst luck the, of any X Men. Yeah, the absolute worst luck. Like he, he just yeah. I I remember reading this for the first time a couple of years ago, and just reading it and being like, huh, yeah, he's he's not he's not doing particularly well, and especially when you read uh, Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire as well, which it will be a part of this, but it, a bit later down the line. And it's just the fact that he gets screwed over in that as well. <laughs> and then in the recent comics, he's now stuck in the vault. The vault. Yep. Yep. <laughs> stuck in the vault for, was it 530 some years? 537 years? He he will adapt. He That's will an oddly specific number. 537. <laughs> Hickman is really into weirdly specific numbers, it seems. Yeah. I mean, after seeing him at C2E2. Yeah. Oh, do you ever seen him at C2E2? It's just kind of like you, you kind of understand his thought process a little bit better. He's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just the sarcasm that he gives was just yeah. amazing. Like, <laughs> oh, you have opinions. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> He says, I feel like you go up to him and you go, hey, you ruined my favorite X-Man. He'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah. Deal with it. But Oh, it, you know, then poor, poor Darwin again in uh, first class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, can we not oh. talk about that one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like the character of Darwin in first class got, he got, he got messed, messed over, screwed over in more ways than one. Um, absolutely 
like, yeah. It's just the fact that he was the first one to die when, like, his ability is to adapt. And uh, I kind of feel like they should have done something similar to Deadly Genesis, where he just bonded with the nearest person. And that I, I feel like that would have made a better story. But, yeah, it's a really good book. I mean, the art was a bit iffy on this one. I wasn't a huge fan of the art. I don't know about you guys. But... You know, it's such a good story. I thought it needed better art for it. Yeah, yeah. You kind of think if they did like a... Not, not a it's retelling. always disappointing when you have a really good story and the art just doesn't... That's always... I hate that. That bothers me a lot. Yeah, it's it's kind of like... It's kind of like um, you take the X-Men as an example at the moment. The X-Men have got an excellent writer. They've got an excellent artist. Everything is great about all of the x-men books i don't think there's a single x-men book that hasn't got a good good artist and a good writer that have good um what's the word what's the word i'm looking for they have a good rapport with each other um but yeah I, I don't i don't i kind of think it didn't particularly work very well on this one but um and not, not that the art was bad it just didn't suit the story with the story yeah i, I think I it think... could have been a moodier art Yes, and I, yeah. I think it was I, very you know, traditional superhero comic booky. Okay, and so it's very dark story. What artist would you have put on this then instead? I'm thinking Marco mm. Cicchetto. Uh I, I honestly I would say um who the guy who's drawing X Men and uh, did House and Powers of X at the moment. Um I can't remember who that is though. But uh yeah, whoever's on that. <laughs> I can't remember either because I'm not really reading them. Usually, I'm better with my artists. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think, um, I, I think it's. I, I personally think it's more the coloring, if anything. I think if you kind of dulled it all down a bit. I mean, the, the, the on the last issue when they're on Muir Island, that's a much better, I think, tone for it because it is quite a, quite a deep, dark story. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I. I don't know who I'd change, to be honest with you, whether it be the colorist, whether it be the penciler, whether it be the inker. But uh, it's a great story. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to know, I did kind of touch on it in my sub- summary, was that um, Professor X is shown to be in Wales in issue five, I want to say. Now, I did a little bit of research on where Muir Island is located, <laughs> and apparently it's off the north coast of Scotland. Yeah. So apparently, that's, not, that's not close. No, it's not close. <laughs> like the fact that Professor X went and got a fishing boat and they went from the west coast of uh sort of mainland UK, not including Northern Ireland, but mainland UK, and then they had to go all of the way around the UK to the other side of the, you know, to the East Coast and to the Northeast Coast at that. It's just, it must be like a thousand miles. That, that's some boat. <laughs> uh, it's probably one of the boats that they're now using in Marauders. <laughs> so yeah, that was just my kind of, my little gripe with that. I think it would have been much better if they just said that Professor X was in Scotland and he went a couple of miles off the coast to Muir Island. It's yeah. comics. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? I know, but then again, then again, the way that I kind of like, uh, the way that I uh, wanted to explain it to myself was that, of course, 
we we don't know how long it would have taken Vulcan to get all the way over the Atlantic. You could call it like ten hours, let's say. Therefore, it makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> just to kind of make myself happy. But I highly recommend this one. I think uh, I'd, I'd give it easily give it sort of four point five out of five lock jaws or lock heads if we go on that route. Purely because I think the the art let it down just a little bit. Not that it's bad, like we said, just the fact that I don't think it kind of suited this story. So uh, next we've got Silent War, uh, written by David Hine, with art by uh, Fraser Irving. Uh, letterers are VC Joe's Caramagna and Corey Pettit. Cover is by John Watson. Um, the editor is Stephen Wacker with assistant editor, editor um, Aubrey Sitterson. Um, so after the events of Son of M, uh, Black Bolt has declared war on the United States for their refusal to return the Terrigen Crystals to the Inhumans. Uh, Black Bolt's first move is to send a team of Inhumans led by Gorgon to infiltrate a charity production of The Tempest, attended by a who's who of politics and celebrity. The goal of the mission is to uh, intimidate and deliver Black Bolt's warning, but things spiral out of control, and a temperamental team member, uh, Joel Lynn, gruesomely murders the entire audience. Um, In case anyone was wondering, Joel Lynn is horrible 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 and is the absolute worst you should hate him um as the inhumans attempt to escape they are intercepted by the fantastic four um the f4 unsuccessfully try to reason with gorgon and the others resulting in a brief skirmish um O.N.E. arrives, and although Gorgon did not uh, order the deaths of the humans, he accepts responsibility, and he and his team are taken into custody. While the while in the clutches of one, um, the nefarious Professor Cartwright uh, exposes Gorgon to secondary terrigenesis, reducing him to a bestial state. Meanwhile, on Adelan, the rest of the royal family uh, discuss how best to rescue Gorgon and the others and recover the Terrigen crystals. Uh, Medusa, acting as uh, Black Bolt's translator, uncharacteristically uh, mistakes his wishes, resulting in her public humiliation. Uh, Back on Earth, Gorgon has broken free from his Terrigen chamber, um, exposing Professor Cartwright to the mists and changing his frail build to that of a super soldier. The next day, Maria Hill comes to check on him, stating the public wants retaliation against the Inhumans. She suggests that a group of hand-picked Marines be exposed to the mists and sent to attack Adelan. Cartwright is hesitant to move forward with the plan as they do not know all the side effects yet. Uh, Black Bolt visits Maximus in his holding cell, who, after the usual taunting, advises him that humans are vicious, merciless creatures and that in order to win this war, he will need to use his voice and commit genocide. It's revealed that Luna has a psychic link to the Terrigen Crystals due to, her, due to her exposure in Son of M and can pinpoint exactly where on Earth they are. The Inhumans immediately teleport to Earth with the aid of Lockjaw, but thanks to some tech from Reed Richards, they are teleported elsewhere. Black Bolt uh, parlays with the sentry who tries to dissuade him from raging war black bolt relents and flies back to the inhumans who accompanied him to earth while maria hill tears into sentry because maria hill is also the worst after returning to adelan we find out that luna withheld information on a second source of terrigen in order to help protect her father the royal family heads to earth once more this time to confront quicksilver who much to everyone's horror has embedded his entire body with shards of terrigen crystals uh 
Enraged, uh, Black Bolt attacks Petro, but uh, is physically restrained by Medusa before more harm can be done. Layla Miller and uh, Jamie Madrox uh, arrive. With uh, Layla's encouragement, Petro tells them how he had jumped forward in time and saw an explosion on Adelan's blue area of the moon that was so intense it could be seen from Earth. Uh, Petro then pleads with Crystal to let Luna stay with him, but Luna declines and returns to Adelan with her mother. Uh, Crystal returns to Petro shortly after to inform him that their marriage has been annulled. Later that evening, Luna confesses to Crystal that he saw something bad in Black Bolt's head, shaking Crystal's faith in their leader. Maximus continues his manipulations, this time on Medusa. Although Medusa loves Black Bolt, she finds herself visiting Maximus. In a flashback, we see that Medusa has gone to visit Uhura in two, on two accounts uh, against Black Bolt's will. She confesses this to him, then goes to explain that she thinks Luna can heal Ahura of his madness. She suggests to Black Bolt to try and have Luna heal Maximus, despite the effects it could have on her. Black Bolt is very against this idea, and Maximus knows this after reading Medusa's thoughts. He continues putting thoughts and words into Medusa's head. She realizes this and is unable to stop herself from kissing uh, him, while, which is witnessed by Black Bolt. Returning to Earth, Maria Hill informs Dr. Cartwright that they have picked the Marines who will undergo pterogenesis. Dr. Cartwright makes it clear he is against it and informs Hill that these Marines will die. Hill makes sure to inform their volunteers, with air quotes around volunteers here, um, of this, but in the end, they are committed. Due to her link with the Terrigen Crystals, Luna is alerted to the humans' plans. Crystal hunts down Medusa and is shocked to learn that Medusa does not know where Black Bolt is. Black Bolt is distant, and not even Medusa can read his face. He hands her a scroll with his wishes, publicly humiliating her again in the process. The Inhumans organize a counterstrike and send a force to Earth, forcing Maria Hill to call in the Avengers. The battle ensues, but the Avengers aren't much of a match against the combined forces of the Inhumans, as Sentry refuses to enter the fight. The Inhuman Waz infiltrates the Pentagon, getting Gorgon, uh, setting Gorgon and the others free. The freed Inhumans find Dr. Cartwright, who returns the crystals to them before finally succumbing to the effects of the Terrigen. With the Terrigen secured, Black Bolt uses his voice and ends the fight so that the Inhumans can make their escape. On Adelan, Medusa takes Luna to visit Maximus. Luna can see the madness that the pacifiers have contained within him, which takes the form of a spectral black octopus. Luna is reluctant to undo the pacifier's work, but does so at Medusa's insistence. As it turns out, before Maximus was imprisoned, the last time he infected all the Inhumans' minds for a rainy day, and a similar, if smaller, madness can be seen in all of their auras. After having been exposed to the Terrigen Mist, the 12 Marines volunteers make their counterstrike on Adelan. While the rest of the royal family fights for their city, Medusa takes Luna to Maximus's cell. They are accompanied by Lord Carthus, who Maximus promptly takes control over. They release Maximus from his cell and head to where Black Bolt and Medusa's son Ahura is being kept. Luna does the same for him that she does for Maximus. As they look on, the Marines all start to fall ill and surrender, a ruse to get inside Adelan, for one of the Marines is a human time bomb. She explodes, destroying the city and crushing the spirit of the Inhumans, opening the door for Maximus to wrest leadership of the Inhumans from Black Bolt. Later, Luna visits, visits a broken Black Bolt in the dungeons of Adelan, where she confesses that she's, what she's done and asks her uncle what to do. The story ends on an ominous note as Black Bolt begins to open his mouth. Um, 
rating. This was really, really good. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, I was going to say, um, especially not only the story, but um, unlike uh, the review that Adam discussed before us, Deadly Genesis, um, the art was phenomenal. So I'm going to give it five out of five lock jaws. See, I, I would definitely I, give it the same. Um, I really enjoyed this book. Yes, and I agree. The art in this is just phenomenal. What I will say um, just about the, the guys that created this book, I mean, I basically, whenever I go to MCM in London, uh, the two people I can always rely on being there is David Hine and Fraser Irving. They are some Jealous. Of, they are some of the nicest people, like genuinely. I, I, the first MCM I went to, I think I stood there and I spoke to him for about half, like half an hour, an hour. And then I kept going back every year or every MCM because we have two MCMs a year. And um, I'm pretty sure by this point he, he just probably wants to put a restraining order out on me. But he's just such a nice guy to talk to. And uh, I think even last time in October when I went to MCM, I showed him uh, the picture of your artwork, Lynn. Um, and he was like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Which was really cool. And he, he's such a nice guy. And David Hine works for a company that does like um, uh, augmented reality comic books. So you kind of like, you remember what Marvel used to do with some of their books, where you download the oh. AR app and you'd, you'd get some, some facts or whatever. Um, well, this, the comic book series or the comic books that he does for this company, they have that as well, but they do it much more story based, which is really cool. But yeah, if you ever get the chance to to go to a London MCM, they'll always be there. Uh, yeah, I am very envious of that octopus print you have from Fraser Irving. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that I'm, is really very cool. cool. I'm going, and to... he, he must like drawing octopi because yeah, well, yeah that's what of... the madness looks like in this comic. He did have a lot of uh, a lot of octopi. Is it really octopi? Uh, he, he yes, a, that he, is the plural of octopus. He has a lot of. He, he did have a few <laughs> octopi prints, um, which I'll have to. I'll keep an eye out the next time that MCM is on because obviously, the next MCM is meant to be was meant to be in a couple of weeks actually, but it got postponed to July. But I'm, I'm even wondering whether it's going to happen in July because. Uh, Currently, the London XL Centre is being used as a Nightingale hospital for COVID nineteen. So, yeah, that's like the Javits Centre in New York. I'm, I'm. They haven't cancelled NYCC yet, but I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I think, I think this year, like, like we said earlier, I think this year for cons, C two E two was probably going to be the the biggest high profile one. So. But uh, back to the story. There's continual references to uh, to the Tempest, which is so, uh, a popular. Am I the only one that's actually seen or read it? Just before <laughs> yeah, I, before probably I start. So, because okay. <laughs> I'm not a Shakespeare nerd, so yes, you are Lynn, so, the so only one as, who's read it. As a as a British person who is brought up on all the the culture of Shakespeare and uh, and and similar kind of authors and that kind of thing, the only Shakespeare stories I've read is Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream, and they were for uh, my GCSEs when I was fifteen or sixteen. So, <laughs> I think I read Hamlet in high school. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can't remember Hamlet at all, and I think. Um, what was the other one? I don't remember. If you've ever watched The Lion King. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing was the other one I oh, had read. Oh, yes. No, I've seen that. Yeah, that one as well. But if you've ever seen uh, The Lion King, that is basically... It's Hamlet. That is Hamlet, yeah. Yeah. So. 
But uh, yeah, do you want to do you want to explain some uh, uh, some of the cooler references? A, a little bit of why it's actually referenced. Yeah, um, actually, if you ever go see a Shakespeare play in person, The Tempest is a really good one to go see because okay. this one is a a fairy tale, and it always has you know really fancy you know stage production, you know wonderful costumes and special effects. I know. Uh, when I was in high school, my high school did a production of it, and they did it with a Star Trek theme, which actually <laughs> works really well for this story. It, it was so cute. <laughs> so all the sailors, instead of being sailors, were in Star Trek uniforms. And, did you know, they have red shirts? They did. <laughs> they did. And the, it starts with a shipwreck, so yeah, they're doing the leaning from side to side on the, <laughs> on the Brilliant. bridge. Brilliant. But it, it was... The Tempest was the inspiration for the sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Which, uh, for, anybody, but, for anybody that lives in the UK, Forbidden Planet is actually named after that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, in this, uh, Maximus keeps quoting Caliban from The Tempest. And, of course, if you read X-Men comics, you also know that Caliban is one of the Morlocks. Yep. And uh, the the story starts with Prospero, who is a duke and a magician, and his brother usurps him and banishes him and his daughter Miranda to this island. And on the island, there's all kinds of magical creatures, uh, like, you know, sprites and fairies and stuff. Ariel is the one that actually gets lines in the the play. Uh, That was also one of Kitty Pride's former aliases. Yep. Back when they first introduced Caliban. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice, so, nice reference. Yeah. So when they get to the island, there's one monster there named Caliban, and he kind of thinks of it as his island. And of course, Prospero was usurped by his brother. Prospero then usurps Caliban, and Caliban's not a very nice guy. He attempts to rape Miranda, which causes them to be a Prospero to keep him under control using his magic, and he kind of tortures him quite a bit. So Maximus keeps quoting Caliban. You can kind of see that Maximus thinks of himself as the Caliban. Caliban always wants to be in charge of the island. Maximus always wants to be, you know, take over Adelan. <laughs> he also wants to marry Medusa yep. over and over again. We, we see that theme where he doesn't necessarily love Medusa. He just wants to take what's his brother's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of, you know, just a running theme with Maximus really, isn't it? It's like, yeah. You know, you know, I, yeah. you know, what we talk about, like the reference to the Tempest and that kind of stuff, you, you, the real unfortunate thing is that this story was basically the only part of this story that got told. There was no kind of like big Ugh. you didn't you didn't see Maximus actually take Atalan. And that's a real no. shame. Because you have all these references to it. You have him kind of quoting Caliban, you kind of have him setting all of this up, especially between um both Maximus and Ahura. Um because they both kind of had this this, you know, thing wrong with them. And uh, Luna kind of healed both of them in this story. And 
you kind of assume that they were kind of trying to. Did line she actually up. heal but them? She or did she so much heal them as she took off the restraints yeah, on Maximus? Yeah. So, so okay. he still got his issues. He's still, you know. But he's now free yeah, he just to do what he wants. Yeah, yeah, he's at full full power capacity here. So it's kind of like I feel like yep. they were trying to set something up between Maximus and Ahura potentially, but it just kind well, of never. Well, also left. Maximus and Luna because yeah. Luna wanted to, you know, they left it after they left the series of this cliffhanger where, you know, he go Luna's talking to Black Bolt like I did something wrong. How do I fix it? And we don't get to see that Luna Maximus showdown, and I was disappointed yeah. because basically what they're saying is um, Luna is hella powerful, yeah, and immune to Maximus's powers, right? And it, I, I feel, I feel really, you know, it feels kind of sucky that instead of doing a like a part three to this story, because you kind of have Son of M, and then you have Silent War, and then you have the secret invasion story that's effectively the next story after this one and it's like there just should have been one more david hine written story in the middle uh, you know between between this one and secret invasion yeah it's it like secret invasion was coming and they just made a left turn into a secret invasion storyline yep yeah but also it's kind of a bummer because i want because they've also like implied um issues after that although i think they've nerfed luna since but yeah, no, they've implied that she's pretty powerful empath. Yeah, so I mean, Luna's gone back to being kind of a, a non-powered person now because obviously she's, she's at the Braddock Academy and that kind of stuff. But it doesn't look like she's got any particular powers anymore. Oh no, she she still had her powers when she was in X Factor. Yeah, was that all new? X she Factor? she was what all new X Factor? The one? Um... Yeah. The second David, uh, the uh, Peter, uh, Peter David series. Yeah, yeah, she still had her powers in okay. all new X Factor because she was being scolded by Quicksilver for using them on her depressed friend. Yeah, oh yes, enough. yeah. I tell, you, I love that series. That was such a good series. Like just the team was brilliant. You had uh, was it Polaris, Quicksilver. And I can't remember the rest. It was Polaris and Quicksilver. I can remember, <laughs> but uh, at least uh, at least we we find that Crystal and and Pietro's marriage got annulled. Yay! Thank God. Oh, actually, yeah. Sci-Fi did an interesting article about Crystal that I highly recommend you read. Yes, we uh, we did retweet it. That was a very good article. Crystal is Crystal's complicated romantic past. And she's, like, what really kind of annoys me is that there's so much more to Crystal than her romantic past, but everyone just chooses to focus on that, and I 100% agree with that article on it, Um, because Crystal's a badass and very powerful, and no one wants to acknowledge it. But anyway, I'm going to let that lie for now. Speaking of people that act like dicks, Maria Hill... And, and Jolin. And Jolin as well. Ugh. Like, like Maria Hill, I don't think she ever changes. And I, I think that, yeah, to this point, that is basically her, her personality trait. is just a massive dick. And I, I love the fact that in the MCU, they changed it up and made her uh, kind of a much better person. Oh, I love yeah. MCU Maria Hill. I think Colby Smulders does an excellent job as her. Yeah. 
Yeah, plus it's Kobe Smolders, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't yeah. really argue with that. But, I mean, you know, this story, I think, the, the art goes by it. It goes, you know, does so much for it as well. I think that Fraser Irving does so much good for the humans. Um it just, it, I don't know, it's just something about his style just fits with them so oh. well. Because it's kind of like that almost weird kind of style. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a, it's not like a traditional sort of... Ab- it's kind of ab- a little abstract. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, way like... he draws Medusa's hair. Yeah. 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 It's amazing where it actually shows her emotion instead of just, like some artists do, it's just constantly moving. You can tell how she's feeling by what the tips of the hair do. And I, I know, I know this is a, um, I know I mentioned that I was rewatching the Inhumans issue one the other day, but it's almost like there were certain <sighs> bits from this story that were kind of cherry picked for that, particularly the part where obviously uh, Maximus wanted to assert the throne and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, you have that... a... go ahead. So I mean, I, there's, there's a few cherry picked bits from this that I think were, were taken into, into that story, um, but not the good bits. Just, just. Why, why are you making me remember this? Because I rewatched <laughs> it, and I am going to tell. And you we all... need to suffer too. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to tell you all about my self my self imposed displeasure. Um, yeah. I blame the showrunner. Oh yeah, I mean Scott Black. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Scott Black. The show, the showrunner, and the fact that they rushed it in to production rather than taking the time to actually do it. I, I'm hoping Kevin Feige, now that he's in charge of all of this, will eventually revisit the Inhumans and give them the love they deserve. I think I think but, they are in Ms. Marvel, aren't they? So, but obviously, Ms. Marvel is a few few years off yet. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That would be good. Yeah, so and I'm the thinking... Fantastic Four are coming. Yeah, and that's they the are a I... huge part of the Fantastic Four. So, uh, is there anything else we would like to say about Silent War, other than out of the three, this was my favorite? Although I also did like some of them. Oh, poor little Uhura. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's one of his rare appearances before the more recent comics, and Karnak and Gorgon just should have left him on Earth. Yeah, I think he would have been better off. Which is which is a story we should probably also we'll have a look do at an episode yeah. on because that was weird. What's that? That was Daredevil, right? The Daredevil, the Heart of Darkness Daredevil also, story where Karnak and Gorgon go to find Uhura on Earth for Medusa. And it also written it, by uh, Anne Senti. Yes, it is the actually the follow up to By Right of Birth. That's weird because I, I surely surely they should put that into the by right of birth trade. They absolutely should, but they haven't. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. No, it's, yeah, I have the Daredevil trade that it's in. I've, I love I like by right of birth is one of my favorite comic book stories ever, and I, uh, I really like Anne Nocente's writing. She may have killed Jessica Drew off, but I really like <laughs> I really like the rest of her writing. Yeah, she I, did. She was hired by Marvel to kill Jessica Drew. I think uh, I think what I like about like her writing is she's you know when was By Right of Birth uh, published was that nineteen eighty nine yeah late eighties no. late eighties I think so yeah and it's kind of like you know I I know that it's only thirty years ago but also it was thirty years ago 
Right. Um, and she did a lot of stuff that I, I guess even then was was not of, often brought up in in fiction. And uh, I would love for her to write Mar- for Marvel again, man. I would love to see what she does. Well, she's currently well, she was writing. Um, what was it seeds? Was it seeds, yeah. I heard um, that was very good, isn't it? Yes, it is it. very good. Yeah, that's another book that uh, I, I need to pick up because uh, I haven't yet. But yeah, so Anna Senti is very good, and I think uh, I think that should definitely be put into the uh, <laughs> into the by right of birth trade. Um, I, at least I'm going to now go and pick it up on uh, on um, Marvel Unlimited if it doesn't glitch out for me. But is there? Yeah, if you're uh, if you're looking, it's actually Daredevil two seventy five through two eighty two. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, should, no, I know. <laughs> I'm going to go and catch it now. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything else you want to want to pick up on this on this story? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, so obviously, so the next three books that we will be reviewing is uh, so Nova, uh, which is like issues is the Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning run, which is issues uh, thirteen to twenty two. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, also by Dan Ab- Abnett and Andy Lanning, which is issues, I think, 1 to 12, I believe. And uh, Secret Invasion in Humans, issues 1 to 4, which is not a sequel to Silent War. No, but it is still really good. And there's one of my favorite Crystal and Medusa moments in that series. So, Yeah, Crystal and Medusa Smackdown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that, actually. Um, so I guess I guess Crystal it, got some of her own back. Yeah, I guess um, I guess the biggest thing to say is if you have any comments, uh, questions for the ask about me anything, then please do get in touch. Our Twitter is at atalanrising one, and uh, our email address is the show at atalanrising dot com. Uh, send us anything, and uh, we'll we'll pick it out on the next uh, next issue or next episode or the next comics episode. So. Woo. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.